This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Today, we're talking about technology. Specifically, technology that can help us tackle climate change by using less energy, make better lifestyle choices, and keep us better informed. And who better to tell us about this than Miss Kate Brand, the Chief Sustainability Officer for Google. Previously, she was the United States' first Federal Chief Sustainability Officer, so she comes with lots of experience. Miss Brand is not only helping Google go green, the company is also developing products and services that help people around the world cut their emissions and to take a more active role in reducing the threat from climate change. But big tech also consumes a lot of energy, such as data centres. What can be done to address this? Welcome to the show, Kate. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be with you. Now, the impacts of climate change are worsening, as we see almost on a daily basis, and the need to cut emissions is becoming more and more urgent. But the good news is that there is plenty of technology, including artificial intelligence or AI, that can help us reduce the risks. Could you give us some examples that you feel are really impactful and interesting? Um, And these examples don't have to be from Google. I mean, they can be. But just things that really sort of leap out to you that can and are really making a difference. I absolutely see a lot of possibilities to really harness the power of of technology and specifically AI uh, to tackle the climate crisis. And a data point that I think is important to note is that a recent study found that If brought to scale, digital technologies could reduce emissions globally by about 20% by 2050 in three of the highest emitting sectors, and that's energy, materials, and mobility. So we're talking about a big, big opportunity space here. And I'll share with you a few of the examples that I think really point to what's possible. One is through our Google Cloud platform, we offer our customers something called Carbon Footprint. And this is a freely available tool that includes solutions in it that you can use to maximize uh, the operations of your organization. So, for example, you know, we've seen companies like L'Oreal and Etsy uh, with monthly emissions data that's now helping inform the decisions that they're making on how to reduce their emissions from their technology footprint. Another example uh, is more focused around businesses are critical, but also policymakers, and in this case, city planners. We have a project through our Google research team that's using AI to optimize traffic lights across cities. So, you know, we've all had this experience where, you know, you don't enjoy sitting at the red light. And, and that idling, it also wastes a lot of fuel. It increases air pollution. So what we've found is that through our initial pilots, we've been able to reduce the fuel consumption um, and delay times by about 10 to 20%. And the team has actually piloted this in Indonesia um, with the Jakarta Department of Transportation. And then I'll just give you one other example. Of course, we're seeing great work beyond Google, and we are also very interested in how do we support innovative startups and nonprofits in the ecosystem. And so there is a a team in India, an Indian-based nonprofit incubator uh, called Vilagro, and they're using AI and IoT-led tech to provide real-time insights and advice for irrigation management. And that's enabling farmers to better manage their water use. 
Um, so this is just one of the recipients of a new seed fund that we have, the AVPN Sustainability Seed Fund, which is a partnership with the Asian Development Bank that we're also supporting through our foundation. So those are a few things that are making me hopeful right now. Great. Okay. That sounds really very interesting. I, I particularly like the idea of the uh, more seamless traffic lights, particularly in Jakarta. Now, just turning to, to data, which of course Google has a lot of, what is the data showing about concern around climate change? Are people becoming more increasingly worried? And with that worry, do they want to become more sustainable in their lives? You know, in other words, take more action. Yes. So, you know, one thing that we look at at Google is Google search trends. You know, anyone can look these up online, but we also really use them to inform our understanding of what's on people's minds and what more helpful tools and, and information can we provide to them. And so we, what we've seen is that um, recently global searches for terms like electric bicycles or electric cars uh, have reached all-time highs. That And equally, we've seen that interest in the topic in APAC is at all-time highs in places like Singapore and Australia and India. And, and even if we double-click a little bit into certain markets, you know, when we look at Singapore in the first half of this year, um, sustainable tourism was among one of the top searches related to sustainability. And that Singapore was also among one of the top five countries worldwide searching for topics like greenwashing, environmental and social governance. Um, so we're definitely seeing real increased interest from consumers in, in how they can live more sustainably. And so that's very much informing our strategy and I know informing the strategy of many other businesses as well. And can you give us some examples of uh, tech and AI solutions that can help consumers make better choices? I think there's quite a few out there. Yes, indeed. One area that we have looked at is through our Google Maps platform. There is a functionality there that shows users EV charging points. And AI is helping now to recommend some of the best charging stops for EV users. Uh, and that's also you know, factoring in things like current traffic patterns. Google Travel is another example where users can see the carbon associated with an individual flight uh, and use that to factor it into their decision making. And same thing with hotels. They can quickly find information about the sustainability profile of hotels. And then also kind of sticking with the theme of, of travel and, and transportation, eco-friendly routing. Um, this is a feature that's available uh, in Google Maps in several parts of the world, not yet in the Asia Pacific. But this is a tool that shows you the most fuel efficient route if it doesn't already have the fastest ETA. And there's a little green leaf that'll show up in the navigation. Um, and what we're also seeing is that tools like this are really enabling real emissions reductions, as well as fuel savings. So we estimate that about 1.2 million metric tons of CO2 uh, equivalent have been reduced through this tool. And that's like taking about 250,000 fuel-based cars off the road for a year. Great. And then there's also the issue, of course, tackling the risks from extreme weather to help people get out of harm's way. Uh, so for example, early warning systems that were a key topic during the recent UN gathering in New York. I saw you speaking about that, I think, on a climate group video. And that's really critical, particularly for this part of the world with flood storms, wildfires, you name it, right? So tell us a little bit more about tools that can help save lives. 
Absolutely. This is another critical area. While we're focused on solutions to ultimately reducing CO2 emissions, reducing the severity of climate change, we're already experiencing it every day. You know, we see this around the world, as you mentioned, with floods, with wildfires, with drought. Um, so we also want to deliver solutions um, to communities and, and to individuals here. Uh, so a couple of examples I would share. The first is around flooding. We you know we know that flooding impacts hundreds of millions of people every year. And so our Google research team, going all the way back to 2018, began looking at how could we use AI to do really hyper-local and much more early flood forecasting. And they started in places like India and Bangladesh and Sri Lanka, where we see so much death and destruction associated with flooding. And now what we have is a tool called Flood Hub. And so this, through the power of AI, can show you riverine flooding seven days in advance um, in 80 countries around the world. And then Google's also using this information to push out what we call SOS alerts, those emergency alerts that you'll see through Google Search, through Google Maps, if you're searching for flooding near me, if you're looking for a route that might be flooded. Um, so we're very focused there on, on how can we sa save lives and pre prevent um, damage through flooding. And wildfires, similarly, um, we found that through analyzing satellite imagery with AI, we can support more rapid detection when wildfires first start and to alert emergency authorities and local officials to that. And then also we have a, a tool that focuses around AI-enabled wildfire boundaries in Google Maps. You can actually see where is the wildfire and in real time, how is it spreading as people are trying to get out of harm's way. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Now, just turning a little bit now to the energy consumption side from big tech, such as data centers. Let's talk a little bit about key steps Google uh, has taken to reduce its emissions, for example, its net zero by 2030 goal and the 24-7 initiative. Yes, indeed. You know, I, I, of course, have been talking a lot so far in our conversation about the work we're doing to enable individuals with helpful information to support our partners and customers to have decision-making information to, to be more sustainable. And of course, um, for us, it starts at Google. It starts with how we operate our business. And you're right, we have set some very ambitious goals uh, for ourselves, uh, including net zero and 24 by seven carbon-free energy operations by 2030. And this very much comes to life, including in our facilities uh, in the region. So take you know Singapore, for example, where we have a data center that data center has been you know, designed, built, and operated to maximize efficiency. Today, are about 1.5 times as energy efficient as a typical enterprise data center across our fleet. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're getting about three times as much computing power for the same amount of electricity compared to five years ago. So very deep focus on efficiency, uh, but also on that carbon-free energy. And so this is uh, an ambitious goal because what it requires is on an annual basis on any grid where we're operating to actually match that consumption with carbon-free energy. So that's wind, that's solar, but that could also be advanced geothermal storage, other solutions. And so here we are making some great progress. We've gotten to about 64% across our operations and we're gonna keep pushing. 
And also, you know, I come from a policy background before I joined Google, I was in the Obama White House. And we also really recognize that policy is going to be so critical. And this is absolutely true when we look at the, you know, the Asia Pacific region. And um, we're founding members of an organization called the Asia Clean Energy Coalition. And this is a multi-stakeholder initiative to accelerate clean energy uh, in Asia by improving policy and market environments. Um, we're also supporters of the Clean Energy Buyers Association, um, serving as the secretariat for an initiative called the Clean Energy Demand Initiative, where they are working with countries to enable MOUs for corporate buyers to express their interest for more clean energy um, in those parts of the world, in those nations. So a lot of work ahead of us to reach these bold goals. And of course, we're always really thinking about this through the lens of how do we ultimately drive systems change? How do we partner? um, And how do we enable progress together? Yes. But also the other part of the equation, of course, is your customers. Um, And there are many, many people who use Google products and, well, technology in particular and apps on phones. So how about tackling the emissions from people who use Google's products every day? So in other words, the scope three emissions, which I guess would be probably a a much larger percentage of Google's total emissions. Yes, indeed. So like a lot of companies, especially in the technology space, uh, a lot of our footprint does does reside in, in scope three in our value chain emissions. And so that net zero by 2030 goal we were just discussing absolutely includes our scope three footprint. So we're committed to reducing 50% of our combined scope one, two, and three emissions as part of that goal. And that does also include the use phase of Google products. And so here, you know, we are pursuing multiple pathways. Of course, efficiency is going to be key and clean energy. Again, what we were just discussing, unlocking clean energy um, for, for use phase as well. So, so scope three is a challenging space and it's one that we're, we're hard at work on. Sure. Now, just returning back to Singapore, um, you've already mentioned some tools that uh, people here can use. What else could soon be available or is available for people in Singapore that can help them tackle their emissions and cut their waste? Yes. So another great tool that that I would mention is something called the Environmental Insights Explorer. Um, And this is a tool that we've been building with and for cities uh, for many years. And it's, it's now available to 42,000 cities around the world. And it's really meant to provide very decision useful information to city planners who are looking at the carbon footprint of their buildings, the carbon footprint of the transportation happening across their city, the solar potential of their rooftops. This is really important, especially in cities like Singapore, which are very land constrained. So, you know, rooftops are a critical space to consider for decarbonization. Uh, And then we've brought in other data sets as we've gotten more feedback from cities, things like tree canopy. What we know is that increasingly urban centers are impacted by heat, by urban heat islands. I know it gets very hot in Singapore, too. And so here we can, through um, aerial imagery and machine learning, assess all of the trees that are in a city to give insights uh, around where trees already are residing and where they could be planted. So that's that's one example that, that I would share. 
uh, in terms of you know work that we're doing to support cities, which are such a big part of the climate equation. And also, you know, again, back to businesses and businesses, including ones that are operating in the in the Asia Pacific region or have value chains that that are critically um, there. And so here too, we've teamed up with companies like Unilever, who have goals around zero deforestation and are looking at how can they reduce deforestation, especially in their palm supply chains, many of which are in the Asia Pacific region. And so here we've brought to market a tool called Earth Engine, which gives companies visibility um, upstream into their supply chain so they can partner with their suppliers to reduce impacts like deforestation. Great. Now, you are perhaps, I would say, the most influential chief sustainability officer in the world. And you obviously have access to a lot of global and political business leaders uh, on a regular basis. So let's take your recent visit to New York for Climate Week, for example. Are you finding policymakers and leaders of other major corporations, do they understand the threat from climate change? And are they more willing to take more ambitious action? Yes. You know, I have several reflections coming out of uh, being in, in New York a couple of weeks ago for the UN General Assembly and Climate Week. And maybe I'll, I'll share three with you. I think the first is there's clearly a recognition that the world is off track. You know, we got the global stock take from the UN just the week prior, which is meant to look at, are we making progress against the Paris Climate Accord? Uh, And the answer was no, we are off track for 1.5 degrees C by 2030. And similarly, this is the halftime for the sustainable development goals. You know, those goals were set in 2015 for 2030. It's halftime and equally many, many of those goals are off track. So there was a lot of discussion around how do we get back on track and the critical importance of partnership in doing that as well as technology. And and so that's where I think some of the solutions we've been discussing today are very important to support decision makers, be those businesses or policymakers or individuals in helping to get us back on track. The second insight um, that I would share that, that was discussed a lot, which we've already touched on, is just the inextricable link between climate change and development. You know, we know, as we've been discussing, we're already feeling the impacts of climate change and they're becoming more acute, especially in the form of extreme weather. And so the more that we can support disproportionately impacted communities um, as we look at climate solutions, that is going to be absolutely critical. And I think that's, again, where tools like the Flood Hub that we were discussing come in. And then the last thing that really came up for me this time was was a really deep recognition of the importance of storytelling. You know, I think Mm -hmm. in the climate movement, there hasn't always been enough emphasis on um, storytelling and on the storytellers. And I think especially youth climate voices can be so powerful. And so platforms like YouTube, you know, which is part of Google, I think are a very valuable place to lift up more voices for people to talk about what decisions and you know changes they're making in their own lives to tell stories about why this, this climate crisis is meaningful to them and their families. Um, so those are a few insights from uh, from a couple of weeks ago. Sure. Thank you. And just a final question. Um, and I do take the point on storytelling. I think there needs to be a lot more sort of narratives, both, you know, there's truthful narratives, but also I think more on, around solutions too, because there is a lot going on. And just on that final point about solutions, what else do you really think needs to happen in terms of, you know, regulation and carbon pricing, the sort of signals that can help drive change? What do you think about that? 
Yeah. As I shared, I come from a background, you know, doing this work in, in both the public and the private sector. And I would say I think regulation is certainly one key way of making meaningful you know, change. And I think there needs to be a real continued conversation between all stakeholders in the ecosystem, because that's, I think, where you get the flywheel, where you have regulation and policy that's enabling business to do more, that's supporting individuals to take action. So I very much think it is through partnership that we are going to see the boldest solutions and we're going to be able to get ourselves back on track here. Fabulous. Thank you so much for joining us today. Very great. Really enjoyed speaking with you. Me as well. Thank you so much for having me. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.